Welcome to this edition of At The Mic. I'm your host, Keith Malinak. This week, I talk with Eric July, who you may know from his appearances on The Blaze, through his own YouTube channel, his music, any number of places, quite honestly. Truly, the man is ubiquitous. That conversation is next. But first, have you ever been on a road trip where the sleeping conditions just weren't the greatest? I want you to think of Benjamin Franklin, John Adams. They're two distinct personalities forced to share a bed while on an important diplomatic trip. To complicate matters, when bedtime came, the uptight Adams wanted the window of their room closed. Franklin wanted it open. The two had different theories on how one would get sick back in that day. Adams thought it was from the night air. Franklin theorized that being shut up in close quarters was the culprit. So he laid there trying to fall asleep. The window was open, by the way. Uh, Franklin detailed the reasons why the night air was best to circulate through an open window. And Adams, bored of the science lesson from Dr. Franklin, drifted off to sleep. (laughs) I just love stories from history like this. They really bring the founding fathers to life. And this month at APRCoffee.com, Ben Franklin is being recognized, as he should be. Go check out the blend named after him, a blend as unique and as versatile as America's incredible founding father, Benjamin Franklin. And if you order at least two pounds of coffee at APRCoffee.com and you type in ATM, stands for at the mic, in the special instructions section during checkout, they're going to include an eight-ounce bag of the Reagan, a time-for-choosing blend. That's a $10 value. You're going to get it for free. you got to head over to APRCoffee.com, type in ATM in the special instructions section. You're listening to At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. Eric July is my guest this week. Uh, He tells us his story from gang member to track and field star to popular music artist to economics expert. I love this guy, Eric July. He's fascinating. And here is that conversation on this week's edition of At The Mic. Eric, thanks so much for making time. I appreciate it. Man, I appreciate you having me on a long time. Kind of over, overdue uh, here, but, you know, better later than never, huh? Well, well, we pass each other in the hallway, and we've spoken for maybe five minutes at a time at the most. And so this is really an opportunity for me to actually get to know you sure. in real time with for everybody sure. else. So that's for pretty sure. cool. You were born and raised here in Dallas, Texas. Absolutely. Born oh. and raised. Uh, been here my entire uh, well, I can't say my entire life because you consider college, and I had a, I had a year where I was in Arkansas. But yeah, born born and raised here. You mentioned college. You went to the <clears throat> University of Memphis, mm-hmm. then Texas A and M Corpus Christi. Yes. So you've made the rounds. What were you studying when you were going to college? Uh, it's funny. I, I didn't know what I wanted to initially go in for, but I went to University of Memphis because of the track scholarship that I was offered. Uh-huh. It just happened to be a very very good music school. So. I thought that that was more so what I was going to do. Now, when I transferred to Corpus Christi, Texas A&M University, of course, but, um, you know, I was still doing track and field, of course. Uh Uh, Decent music school uh, over there, but I was learning more about the real world, right? (laughs) And I was like, there's not a whole lot I can do with this music degree if I ended up getting it. And I ended up kind of leveling out, wanting to study economics as well as uh, communication. Something that seemed more useful, but then even once I was done with that, I realized, nah, especially from the economic side, when Mm -hmm. you consider the economics that they teach you in in university isn't like, you're not going to learn about Hayek and and, 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 and Rothbard, that's not really a thing that you may learn about them, but that's not the kind. It's more Keynesianism mm-hmm. uh, form of economics. So, yeah, you may learn what the professor wants you to know, but it's not legitimate economics. There, there's three directions here that I want to go, and we're going to cover all of them. But you are a deep thinker. You have an economic mind. So my question for you is, at what point did that really trigger with you where you were – really involved in thinking, sadly, outside the box compared to everybody else. Yeah, um, I I say this all the time. Like when I was just like a lot of young people going into college, I thought I knew everything, right? (laughs) Uh, I was a leftist uh, growing up. So come go to college, go to university in Memphis. And that was really my first experience 
speaking to people of different like ideologies and philosophies that don't agree with me, you know, uh-huh. and I knew, well, thought again, I knew it all, but I didn't. Well, so just to interrupt you there, you say you you were, I guess, exposed to people that didn't think like you. You're still a liberal at this point. Yes, yeah, still. So they're absolutely. actually free thinkers uh, along yeah, the way absolutely. in college. Okay, absolutely, cool. right, mo- right. mo- most definitely. Um, and I was like, yeah, man, this is. Uh, and I'm losing arguments. I don't really know <laughs> what it is that I'm talking about. Uh-huh. I'm like, okay, maybe I need to actually get equipped for these conversations because I'm not nearly as smart as what I initially thought. Okay. Period. So what I did was I wanted to learn about economics because I come from a background of being out here, for example, in Dallas, I was known for, you know, rapping. Right. And uh, I made a killing as a youngster. You know, that was my, that was my little side hustle. You know what I mean? Like I was making, I remember doing these clubs, <laughs> seeing, now of course I blow the money on just nonsense right. anyway. Uh, but no, I could come out like on, on any given like Sunday night with a grand, you know, like it was decent money for a guy that's, you know, 16, 17 years old, not a whole lot of obligations. Uh-huh. Um, but... You know, I wanted to learn more about economics, and that got me wanting to learn about, like, black economists, right? And thank God I come across the likes of Thomas Sewell and Dr. Walter E. Williams. Two of the greatest. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when I say it's like one of those things that just clicks and you just like, wow. Uh And you hear it worded in a way that you maybe never heard it worded as, particularly with uh, Thomas Sewell because he kind of prides himself on, like with the Basic Economics book, trying to break it down for the common man to understand. Uh-huh. And it just absolutely changed my life for the better because it sent me down a rabbit hole. You know, Walter Williams and Dr. You know, Soul that that turns into okay. I want to know more about like the Chicago economists that maybe influenced Soul. So that may change into you know Freedman or something like that, yeah. and then that changed into well, wait a minute. There's other forms of like free marketers that that uh, that are economists. And then you go into Austrian school and you find out about David Friedman, which is, uh, you know, I know he comes still more from a Chicago like his father. But, you know, you learn about, the, again, the Hayek's. And right. then once you go full Rothbard, there's no turning back <laughs> you, you after were, that. You were using the Internet for good. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. At that time, for sure. Because, it, it, you know, definitely back then, you know, you could go on YouTube and go down a rabbit hole yeah. that would send you down there. And the next thing you know, five hours have passed. And you're like, what the? What's the year span we're talking about roughly when you were in college? doing this? So I started college in 08 um ish so um i was out of memphis by the end of 2009 okay um and then that's when i was at AM corpus corpus christi so you're talking about that growth uh going you know late 20s 2000s and before 2010s and then by then i was kind of once you go all the way you go all the (laughs) way that's really cool man so so you're going to school for music Mm mm-hmm do you then switch gears at some point and say, all right, I need to be doing more studying and economics and I need that as a as a degree as opposed to music? Yeah, it was because I still kept the music thing around right. with, with one of the minor in it, right? Um, so I, it just wasn't my heavy emphasis, if you will. Mm-hmm. So, so in I, other words, you discovered economics just in time. Yeah, just in time, right? Most definitely. And then, uh, you know, I'm starting to realize, like I said before, I just didn't, thankfully... Because learning about that and then seeing everybody else in their comments about like education and the higher education system and how a lot of it's quack, man. A lot of definitely I was I got out of school at right in 2013. So right before it got completely crazy. But it was still a bunch of worthless degrees, um, liberal, liberal laws, because, again, I went for that. And I thought because I was a speaker, communication was that was my thing. Like right. I thought so I thought communication studies was a good good route to go. But definitely once you. Uh, you know, the more you go into school, and I remember my last class taking that in 2013, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do anything with this. So thankfully, when I came out of college, I was still an athlete, you know, so I kind of went right into the gym industry. That was kind of a nat- natural crossover and okay. being like, you know, general manager for, uh, you know, different different gym chains and stuff. That was a natural crossover because I've been an athlete. So I had that going for me, and it seemed like me being an athlete benefited me that job more than studying economics or sure. uh, or studying communication or my music minor. What a, what a crazy time this must have been for you yeah. where it sounds like, it's coincidental but not really, that these were the three directions I wanted to go here when I said, all right, which direction do I go here? Yeah. You were living it. Yeah. It feels like your brain was going in three different directions at one time. 
do I do the sports stuff with your athletic background? Do I do the music stuff with had been your interest for the longest time? Or do I go to this new love economics, right? Mm. Like take us through your typical day around this. Yeah. Time. I mean, because again, you're at that age where with me, like you're getting closer and closer to be getting out there in the real world. And a lot of folks don't seem to understand when well, you're in college. Uh, and definitely if you go away from home, like I did where you're basically, li- I mean, I was on Corpus Christi. I was, I was literally on the Island anyway, <laughs> you know, I guess maybe that's the, that's the metaphor, but no, I was out there and I was like, okay, you don't really, because you're an athlete, definitely. So you're like, okay, I don't really think about the world after this because that's, that's what consumes you. Huh. But the closer you get to the point to where, okay, school is over, your eligibility is about to be over, I'm thinking like, well, wait a minute, what am I going to like do? And I'm trying to nail this down, and it was difficult. And some things did work against me. But they were generally positive, and that is my, you know, I, I, at that around that time, I had got into finally doing stuff from a, like the metal and the, and the hardcore stuff, like being in bands. Uh-huh. So that was around the time that I, cause I joined fire, my, my, my previous band, that was like 2011 ish, 20. So 2011, 20, 2012 ish, if I'm not mistaken. So that was taking off. So I'm like, are you I, writing I, lyrics by the way? Yes. I was doing all. Yeah. Are, I, I, are I write, there any odes to Hayek or anything like that, that you, Oh like, yeah. Like, oh yeah. Like, like, what, honestly. Like, oh yeah. Oh, most uh, definitely. It, it sounds like a flippant question, but were some of these new views that you were holding that you were so passionate about and, and really becoming ingrained in you, were they spilling out in Oh music man, lyrics? I wrote a song of my previous <laughs> band, my previous band. I was uh, in again called fire from the gods. Uh-huh. My, the one EP that I did, there, I wrote a song called "The Capitalist." Uh, it was, uh, <laughs> I love it, it was so that was like 2012, right? And okay. this song was, it was the first song that I had rapped on that was a metal track, right? Called "The Capitalist." That sounds like fun. Five. Yeah. So again, I was introducing them to something new because I had joined this band and it was more of like a deathcore band. And then I came in, I was like, okay, why don't we have some singing elements? And then the Capitalist came out, and I do do a rap on it. And it was kind of funny watching the genre kind of respond to that because some people were like, oh, man, I don't know if this is my taste. And other people were like, oh, mine's blown. So it was really cool. But that was my, like, track that kind of you heard that kind of bleed out. And even really that whole EP was talking about, like, I wrote a song called Secession. Right, it was talking about like decentralization and uh, and stuff like that. So, and, and, and how cool is that to yeah. think that there are people out there that are singing these lyrics? Yeah, you know? and they probably didn't even think of it uh, uh, as far as what they were singing right. when you consider that. But uh-huh. that that was my that was me as I was growing certainly politically. That was me kind of showing that in some of those songs. And then obviously the band that I'm in now, which everybody knows me for, with backwards. Yeah, it's like, it's blunt. It's blunt as auto, I'll get out having songs called <laughs> self-ownership. It's funny, you mentioned Hayek. Uh, you know, I say a song, like in a lyric on the album, I say, should read the road to serfdom. You know, obviously I, a I, an ode to him. So most definitely, as I grew, but definitely during that time, you know, that, two, that early 2010-ish, uh, that was, my lyrics was absolutely reflecting my growth at the time. Did you get any pushback from your bandmates, or were they of the same mind? They not no, not the one that I was in again. Fire from the gods, no. Right. But they knew that the music was good, and they didn't really care. That mm-hmm. we had more issues back then with, um, like, okay, again, introducing this this new rap element. Okay. Right. Because again, this wasn't a band that I created. This was a band I joined as right. a vocalist. Okay. So. so they had their way of doing things, and it's funny that the band at the time was split. Cause I remember having an argument with them oh. uh, when we were when we were recording. It was a song called "Eat" uh, that we were recording, and I had it was like heavier rap than the Capitalist song that we had did, and uh-huh. this was going into the kind of this new direction that we were really going to embrace it. And I remember having an argument with one of the bandmates, and we it, it turned into an argument between basically all four or five of us because you had some that were like, yeah, we need to do this. This is going to take it to another direction. And, of course, you had the guys that, one of which actually founded the band, was like, no, we're supposed to be like this kind of metal, kind of hardcore Uh-oh. act. So that was in itself... A, a conflict which is hilarious because the band is still around and they add all these rap elements now ah. because of course they imprinted I 
that I had left uh, before I had left that band. But That's that funny. was more so the conflict there. It wasn't necessarily philosophically uh, or, or, or anything that. But I know, like, the, for example, the front man of that band now is, like, to the opposite of me on, on the political uh, thing. So it's kind of hilarious because we're still obviously going to get compared because – Look, the, the, they tried to beat me, uh, and they tried to replace me with another black guy that called himself doing metal and rap. He just wasn't as good. Uh, but, but uh, again, that's, that's not even disrespect. That's just the True. reality. He'll, they'll admit that he's not a rap guy. Uh, but politically, they he's opposite of me, which shows that they certainly weren't they didn't care about more so where the vocalist was or what kind of music that he wrote. So our conflict was that was an early rendition of us adopting the rap element and that became more of a conflict in the politics okay all right so let's back up to your childhood then yeah and talk track and field mm. you can grow up as a kid and like i played t-ball at age five right yeah. and then i just played baseball every year blah 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 where does a kid that wants to run track and field really get that start yeah that's a good question because usually a, a lot of times track is is one of those sports that a lot of guys that do other sports end up doing. Uh So if they're like a football player, they happen to have a little speed on them, and then they end up doing track. I came in doing that because my father, uh, which say what you will, you know, him not being around after the fact, Uh but he was a track and field guy. Uh, he went to, I believe it was Washita out in uh, Arkadelphia. That's where he met my mother. Okay. Um, And... uh, they, you know, he was a track guy. So when I was very, very young, I was introduced that to that to a very, very young age. So I actually was doing that. And I remember doing field day and having like doing the races. And was stuff field like day that. not the greatest yeah, thing awesome. ever? Yeah, it was awesome. Do they still do that? I don't know. That's a good question. That's a good question. I don't, I don't know. I mean, that's certainly not something you can do on Zoom. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't even know if they were doing that uh, before. Yeah. Like, no, field day was awesome, man. That was, I had some great times. I lived for field day. Yeah, those are those <laughs> uh, incredible times. But that was actually when I found out, okay, like I'm just gifted. Right, like I was just faster than everybody. I could nice. jump further than everybody. I was just gifted at what it was that I, you know, was, and that's what speed is. Speed is not taught. You know, you either got that or you don't. You can teach a fast person how to be fast, but you can't teach a <laughs> teach a slow person how to be fast. It just doesn't work like that. Um, so, yeah, so I was, because of my family, um, and then I had a, a older cousin, first cousin, who ended up going to college for track and field as well. So I was always exposed to that either way that it went. I did play other sports growing up. But, of course, aging throughout high school, um, I found out that if there was going to be a sport that I took it to the next level, it was going to be track. So I had to, by senior year, I had dropped everything. I dropped basketball. I dropped, uh, you know, uh, played soccer for a little bit and played baseball for a little. I had to drop all of that because by my senior year, it was like I need to focus on this sport if I'm going to go to college. I didn't have any offers for anything uh, going into my senior year of track and field. Oh, my. Uh, nothing. So I was like, if I'm going to do this, yeah. I got to take it serious. And, uh, yeah, I had a crazy good senior year. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and the one thing turned another, got an offer from University of Memphis, and uh, certainly the rest was history. Okay. How did it go once you got there? Oh, man, eye-opening. Just for perspective here, I competed, even though I didn't, I was not – I never <laughs> – uh, I, I can say this now because I'm not I'm not there anymore. But I never lived. I, I graduated from Mansfield Summit, which is an incredible school. Okay. I didn't live in freaking Mansfield. <laughs> oh, no. oh, so no. I'm from South Dallas, man. Uh, and so I was driving there. Obviously, you can mess around with addresses and stuff like. But no, seriously, because I was a knucklehead growing up. I used to fight and stuff. Like My I mother was like, "I got I got to get you into yeah. a a school." that is worth something so you can try to be away from that nonsense that you're doing out in South Dallas, which mm-hmm. it kind of didn't work for a little bit. I learned to appreciate it by my senior year, but that was the direction that I was uh, certainly going in. But to your question, going into Memphis, University of Memphis, was the most eye-opening experience that I had, again, for perspective of me running track. I was running for Mansfield Summit. That was a 5A school. I know they have 6A in Texas now. 5A was the highest when I graduated, so I'm at the highest division uh, schools and the biggest schools uh, with the best facilities generally. <laughs> and nobody uh, there uh, is uh, asking uh, where uh, you uh, live. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, A lot of that. I, so, obviously, that more so happens in, like, other sports, like, hey, football. get the guy football, basketball, mm-hmm. so he can get in our district. And it happens. No, it's no secret. I just did it for track. Um, but 
me being there, and I went all the way to state. You know, I was uh, I won my division. I uh, went to regionals. Uh, got you know top two qualifiers for the state meet, and I went to you know I went to the state meet. So you're thinking, okay, I'm at least can say that I'm a top eight guy in the state uh-huh. in the highest division, five A in Texas. So I'm fast. I'm thinking like, yeah, of course I'm gonna get offers now because I'm I I, I could not get offers. So I go to Memphis, and we didn't run. I know it's maybe different now. I have a cousin that goes to Cedar Hill. I, I saw them posting about him running an indoor meet, an indoor track meet. We didn't run that when I was coming up. Like we didn't. Texas didn't really do indoor track meets. That's more so a thing that they do up uh, up north. So for those that don't know, there's two different seasons in track. You have usually during the winter, you have uh, the indoor season, and then the outdoor season is starting uh, going into the spring. So my first meet was an indoor meet at the University of Memphis. And for those that don't know, the tracks are smaller. So generally you're going to run on like a 200-meter track, whereas the outdoor tracks are usually 400. Uh, You're running on a 200-meter track, sometimes you'll get someone that has like Texas Tech has like a 300-meter. I believe Kentucky had a 300-meter or something Mm -hmm. above. So the curves are really sharp. Oh, boy. Um, And uh, sometimes you go like A&M Corp, not A&M Corpus, but – Texas A&M and College Station, they had a bank track. So it's supposed to compensate for that. So it kind of goes up uh, as you're running around the curve. So you're like almost running on a wall uh, uh, there. So it's to help with that. Whereas a lot of guys just have a flat 200-meter track. And my first meet was in Eastern, I'll never forget in Eastern Illinois. Um, I believe it was running a 200. I got last place in that heat. Oh, no. That was my first. I mean, you're talking a guy that came from Texas. That's his first meet, and it was the most eye-opening experience because it showed me that no matter how fast I thought I was, I hadn't seen anything yet. Mm. I mean, I got my head bust. Not just by those two guys that we. Uh, they happen to be like very good athletes as well. Um, a guy that was my teammate as well was in that heat, blew the doze off of me. So it was an experience because it really showed that I'm not going to be handed anything. Uh, at this level, this is a level that is unlike anything else that I had experienced where you had, again, with track guys, football guys doing track over here for the most part. Everybody that's doing track are track and field athletes. So you're getting the best of the best from running. And I was a sprinter, 100, 200 to 400, whatever. So, uh, yeah, that was my experience. And it sucked. It was like <laughs> I remember talking to my coach like, dog, I thought I was for real. I'm not, in, I'm not anything like what I thought I was. And I had to work. I had to work. I didn't really – uh, come alive track and field in college until I my, by red shirt sophomore or just red shirt junior year uh, at Texas A&M University and that's when I finally was gotcha. one of more like upper echelon of, of 100 meter 200 meter guys. So it sounds like your mom wisely got you into a good high school. Yes. So she sounds awesome. Yeah, she is. You did briefly allude to your dad. Yeah. Give us the the story there. So, my my father was in. I'm one of those r- rarities where, and this is why I'm so passionate about the subject of fathers being in the homes and stuff like that. Because I came from one of those rarities where I was born into the world in a decent situation. I had both of my parents there, uh, my mother, and my father, who who I thought loved each other, loved me. So I was coming up, and we weren't, of course, rich. But both of them had okay jobs, uh, and I was not, like, living in the hood or anything like that. Um, uh, like, maybe on the outskirts, still living in South Dallas, but, you know, off of Hampton versus, you know, going way deep in Oak Cliff, Texas. That wasn't my experience until around uh, – I had to been, like – I can't remember the age, man, but I wouldn't – I certainly wasn't older than 10, 10 years old. Uh-huh. My mother and my father split. So I go from living that life to back. Well, now I'm living in in Dallas in an apartment, a small, a very small apartment. So I went from having something to almost nothing. And my mother had to work two jobs to try to provide, certainly for me, and it sucked for her. But she was doing all that she could for me. Didn't have we didn't have a lot of money or, or, or anything, and. Uh, that was actually why I ended up going for a year, and that was my freshman year, a little bit of my freshman year in high school, to Arkadelphia 
because that was her shipping me off to my grandma <laughs> to like, somebody's got to straighten this boy out. And that's the importance of having a father that was in the house because he wasn't there anymore. He wasn't there. So I couldn't, my mother could only do so much. She could not teach him how to be a man. That's one thing she'll admit to this day and why she emphasized so much before you have kids, you need to get married, you need to do all of, all of this because uh, I don't want you not only to make mistakes that I made, but you saw it and you lived it. You know what I mean? That experience right. of not having some a male figure, father figure, to be able to, let's say, tame you. And I couldn't. So I was a knucklehead. I grew up fighting, uh, doing all of that stuff, uh, running up and down, uh, gallivanting down Dallas, Texas, as well as going to the other side of town, Fort Worth and Arlington, <laughs> and beefing with them over there just to, just to do it. You know, I was a, I was an idiot back then. But, you know, you know, yeah, that, that was my experience. And, and it's just uh, my mother did everything that she could for me. And that was her, like, last Hail Mary was, okay, I can get him away from the environment. Yes, when he comes back home, He'll he'll maybe have he'll, he can get stuck in that, but at least for most of his day when he's in school, he'll be in a better environment. And I didn't appreciate it then. I still call myself being a knucklehead uh, when I first got there. But by my senior year, I, I I certainly straightened up. Okay, all right. So you grew up an only child. Yes, as did I. It has its benefits. Oh yeah. It has its drawbacks. At the end of the day, are you happy you were an only child, or do you wish you had a sibling? Happy, I mean, yes, I would say, I guess, considering what I just said, if I had right. maybe an older brother, it probably could have helped out. <laughs> but appreciating, like, how I live now is like, dude, I think I have a much appreciation for being, having fulfillment within myself, right, and in my own general accomplishments. Uh, I'm not a guy that likes to go out all the, I mean, it sounds like stupid considering I, my, my job is to tour the <laughs> Of the country uh, and screaming a microphone uh, <laughs> uh, in front of in front of hundreds of people. Yeah, yeah. So I know, yeah, that doesn't make sense. But seriously, aside from me doing that, I'm comfortable within myself. I don't like get, do a whole lot anymore, like I did when I was certainly growing up. And I think me growing up as an only child helped with that because I'm always comfortable within myself. I don't have to go seek like validation or something like that from other people, uh, which is why I don't need to go. If I go out of town, you know, I'm doing a speaking engagement or something like that. You know, as people say this all the time, Eric's no fun because he, he'll go to a speaking engagement or, or something and he'll he'll live at the hotel. Maybe the speaking engagement at a hotel. We're going to go go drink or something like that. And Eric's like, nah, man, I'm going to stay chilling in my room because that's how I am. Mm -hmm. I'm like... I go there, get the business done. Y'all brought me here to go speak. I'm going back upstairs, then I catch the flight in the morning to to do whatever it is that I'm going to do or rather go back home. So that's what I did appreciate growing up an only child because that's what I had to do. Like, you know, I'm at home by myself. For the most mother was at work, so I'm sitting there trying to figure out what what to do. And <laughs> you gain more of an appreciation for that as an adult. So I think sure. that was that, like that self-fulfillment um, and seeking validation within myself as opposed to for a mental, I guess, health standpoint, uh, that helped, I guess, growing up an only sure. child. Yeah, and, and and you mentioned your mom really emphasizing the importance of fatherhood. Absolutely. And you obviously experienced that uh, as a child, uh, not having a dad there. So let's segue into Tori, mm. your fiance. Mm. Congratulations. Thank you. And Thank when's you. the wedding date? Uh, where uh, was oh. the second weekend, if I'm not mistaken, of July? Okay, yeah, so it's all coming right. up, it's not too far from here. Uh, yeah, we have been together forever, so it's like we ain't wasting all this time in the engagement process. Did you pick July? It's uh, funny that purpose? it was a joke, it started as a joke, <laughs> right? It started as a joke. Um, and I and you know, the lady would say that hey, hey uh, July's are gonna get married in July, and I was like, wonk, wonk. And, and then <laughs> it actually ended up happening. I think the joke just went too far, so uh, yeah, here we are getting married in July. That's funny, that's funny. <laughs> Let's pause for just a second, where because you're obviously you've already lived a fascinating life, you've had your hand in every possible <laughs> angle yeah. music, athletics, politics, people at least in this audience, probably recognize you most from your appearances on Blaze TV. Yes. Talking politics, yes. economics, and so on. How did how did that transition happen where you ended up in this building on a regular <laughs> basis talking about politics? Yeah, uh, so 
I became more of a, let's say, political commentator going into like a public one. You know, yeah, I was doing the music and stuff like that, but it wasn't like a case of me like doing videos or, or speaking about it like like that. That didn't happen until I was probably going 20, 23, 24, 25. Um, and my first big interview was, that was back when Tucker Carlson was with Fox and Friends oh, okay. at the time. And um, I did a video that went viral talking about minimum wage. Um, and obviously that got their eyes and they wanted to have me there. And that right there was a launching pad uh -huh. for for that angle. Because a lot of people up until then knew me for um, like talking about, well, maybe people knew me for talking about politics, but it was more so in the scope of the music. Um, than anything so or maybe they, they learned about me because they followed me on on a so form of social media but their first like coming to me was more so my youtube page which had vocal covers and stuff like that or, or my music with the bands that i had been in um or something but that right there was a kind of it just introduced me to like kind of this world here where other people did this for actual living where i was just a guy on that did a video every now and then and uploaded it to Facebook just because I saw people saying stupid stuff about minimum wage and uh -huh. I wanted I wanted to chime in on it. So that was a launching pad. So I think that interview was like 2014, 2015. And so it just introduced me to everything. I'm Because I was local, you know, I had been coming here for a very long time over at Blaze Studio. This was back when Dana was here, you mm -hmm. know. Uh, and uh, that was coming here, doing interviews and, and stuff like that. It just turned into a longer relationship. Um, and yeah, here, here, here I am doing it more so professionally here and, and, and everything else that I do with my show or, or, uh, my YouTube now is more so dominated with this kind of, kind of stuff as opposed to what it was when, you know, I was a youngster. Yeah. Is the best place for people to go to see all your stuff? Is it ericdjuly.com? Yeah, that has, uh, links to virtually everything. Okay. So ericdjuly.com has links to everything. You know, the YouTube has a feed there. So if they wanted to go there and go view the YouTube, okay. uh, they could do that as well. Okay. Now I know on your Twitter profile, help me understand this, define for us, what is an anarcho capitalist? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right. So an anarcho capitalist. Cause maybe I, I could very well be one and just not realize. Yeah. So anarcho-capitalist is a libertarian that has not made an exception for like the state's existence in in like forms of like court systems, laws and stuff like that. So the what I always say is that every anarcho-capitalist is a libertarian, but not all libertarians are anarcho-capitalists. Okay. Because a lot of libertarians are more minarchists, is what you, what we call them. And they are okay, they want government out of the way of a of almost everything except court systems, uh, like police, stuff like that. Whereas to the anarcho-capitalist says, well, we accept that the market's best suited for food and everything else, all the other services. Why would we make an exception for uh, uh, like law or like monopolized law or something like that? So mm. that's more so what an anarcho-capitalist is. It comes from, uh, uh, obviously, Murray Rothbard was the, the, which is funny because People don't know that the only reason Americans, for example, in the West call themselves libertarian is because R Murray Rothbard. So it's always funny to hear like people that say minarchism or like they're like minarchists and they're like, well, <laughs> you're not a libertarian. And I'm like, dude, the only reason y'all call yourselves libertarians is because of Murray Rothbard, who was an yeah. anarcho, who was an anarcho capitalist libertarian. Prior to that, like even now to this day, the term libertarian, like in Europe means mutualism or some like socialist bull crap uh, in a lot of cases. So the only reason people call themselves that okay. in the West is because Murray Rothbard basically hijacked the damn term from, from from them and said, no, we are actually the guys that value liberty, not not you. But yes, coming from uh, Murray Rothbard, and like I said earlier, that's that was the rabbit hole that sent me yeah. uh, uh, down it. So and where was he, Murray Rothbard? Murray, Ro Murray Rothbard, I mean, he's American. Uh, he was American. And uh, what was he based out of? He's actually, believe it or not, the Cato Institute. He's one of the founders. Uh-huh. Uh, one of the founders of... 
Uh, now it's funny because you, so a lot of people would see what Cato says these days, and they're like, uh-huh. Murray Rothbard found that, and this is why he's more associated now with the Mises Institute, sure. uh, uh, more than anything else, because they actually value Mr. Murray Rothbard um, and honor his work. Which you can go to Mises and, and dot org and read all of that M-I-S-E-S. stuff for free. Yes, yes, M I S E S, which is of course named after Ludwig von Mises, who wasn't an anarcho-capitalist, but he was an Austrian economist. I knew we'd get to this point. Yeah, I love this. So when you're not talking economics or traveling the country and performing music, you have some hobbies. Yes. Video games. Yeah. Uh, first of all, what's your favorite video game right now? Oh, right now. <laughs> I um, Man, what what am I playing? I mean, I play a lot of, I do play sports games time to time. I do you, mean, do a you lot get on the headset with people? And, uh, and I would, well, those days are, are behind us okay. now. Like everybody's in like, group channels and stuff where right. I to, you know, I grew up obviously in the Xbox, you know, <laughs> Halo days uh, okay. as well. So we well, we used to trash talk and do all that. That's, that's what not, I wondered. I that's wondered. not a thing anymore. I, see, I, well, that's too bad. Cause I, I know it sucks. I, I figured you would be in there. Oh, I'd be uh, all talking all kinds of those back in those black ops, right. black ops days. I figured you'd be talking <laughs> smack and it would go right over their heads and they oh, wouldn't yeah, realize that, that you're just, too stupid to, for me right, to insult you just, them. You just cut them down and they have no idea. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Comic books are probably are your thing as well. Yeah, for, for sure. For Marvel sure. or DC? Man, it's it's that's a funny question because I come from obviously a background with both, uh, so I don't have a preference like just on a general scale like Marvel versus DC. But I will say in recent years, well, I guess up until very very recent because they're going in a crappy direction. Uh, I would have said like comic book wise, like not the movies or anything like that, just straight comic books. Mm-hmm. Uh, DC was doing better than Marvel for sure. Okay, uh, now that might have. I don't know. They're trying to outsuck each other right now because uh, uh, the books, both books, are trash. It's like Marvel makes this mistake, and then DC was like, "Hmm, why don't we make the same mistake and do it like tenfold?" Uh-huh. So it's like, are you enjoying the Marvel movies? I can get, I can get something out of them. I think they're going, they're about to go in this odd direction with this next phase. Mm-hmm. Um, but look, I say all the time, like, no, they're not direct adaptations of the comic books, but up until um, recent they were respecting certainly the source material. A lot of their major arcs came from uh, even up until the Thanos thing. Like that was all basically a depiction of the, the infinity gauntlet arc, which we, you know, came out in what that was the eighties uh, in, in a comic book. So up until then I could respect it because of that Ultron Ragnarok. All of these were ideas that they got from the books. Unfortunately, these days it seems like source material is, is a burden to them. Um, so I think Captain Marvel was the first movie that people were like, including me, was like, what in the world is this? Like, what is this? And that was obviously late in the previous phase. Um, and if reading on some of the characters that are coming in, it's, it doesn't excite me by any means in what direction. Maybe they can prove me wrong, but I highly doubt it. I highly love it. doubt it. I love it. So you don't have a favorite app on your phone? Mm-mm. I mean, app, you, not really. I mean, Do you use your phone? I do. I okay. do. I mean, that's a big form of communication, but I, probably not as much as everybody else. I'm right. just behind my PC. And that's what, and that's I, what I do my work. I kind of wondered if that meant that you just were anti-phone or you just don't have no, a favorite. Not, anti, not anti-phone by any means. It's just a lot of uh, stuff that I do is centered around being in front of a PC yeah. um, more than anything. So I, I don't do a lot of stuff just on, on my phone. So I'm not... As uh, not anti phone, but I'm not certainly as big Got of a it. phone guy as, uh, as other people okay. because my work doesn't allow me to do that. Sure. Yeah. I can absolutely respect your favorite comfort food, which is Frosted Flakes. Oh, yeah. I mean, that did you, was it already a comfort food or did you have to stop and really think about that when you replied to this email? It. I had to, I had because to think about it. That's a good one, though. Yeah. I had, I had to think about it and I thought about it like, like, <laughs> man, when I'm just like, in a good spot. I'm like got a fresh bowl of, of Frosted Flakes and yeah. I'm like watching something, uh, usually some cut up comic book adaptation or something like that. And I'm like, I'm in a real good spot there. So, And the thing about Frosted Flakes is there's that perfect moment where the milk has made the flakes just soggy enough yeah. where it's perfect. Yeah. You don't want them too crisp. And maybe this is with every cereal, but it seems like especially with Frosted Flakes because if they get too um saturated yeah and it just becomes a mess but yeah. but I, I just feel like there's a sweet spot of time yeah. Yeah. all right so are you a big uh fruity pebbles fan as well uh, and the reason not I, as much and the reason i bring that up so randomly 
is because as I saw your answer, yeah. for me, I thought, that's a great answer. <laughs> and then I thought, man, do I like Frosted Flakes or Fruity Pebbles more? <laughs> so anyhow, that'd be a toss-up yeah, for I, me. Yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't eat as Fruity Pebbles as much, yeah. um, but I did when I was coming up. Yeah, that was like one right? of the, one of the uh, so good. cereal. Fr- Fruity Pebbles is awesome. Yeah. So I'm sorry. I just, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, the hard-hitting questions you get here <laughs> at the mic. Okay. So you have, uh, so if you could go back in time, you would love to meet Murray Rothbard. Absolutely. Okay. But you have actually crossed paths with Walter Williams. Yes. Who, for the record, when he would fill in for Rush Limbaugh, mm-hmm. I mean, it was like sitting in a high-level college course oh, yeah. and just getting the education for free. Yeah. Soak it up for three hours. So where did you uh, meet him? I met Walter. He came out here in Dallas. He was speaking at SMU. And uh, the guys that do that, I, don't know, I think it's the business school side of things, they were bringing him out here. And it's so random because they reached out to me because they knew he was a, I had done no work for I haven't spoken at, at, at SMU and that was one of the college I you think I would hey you do speaking engagement wouldn't SMU make sense because you live in Dallas like no I never spoke there but they reached out to me knowing that um <laughs> he he was a big influence of mine how cool was that yeah and it was like um he's like hey man you should Walter's gonna be here you should come out and so I did and it's a funny story because this again you gotta understand for me this is a guy that sent me down that path, got me to thinking how I'm thinking now. So I had to check this off my bucket list. Yeah. This is a big deal for me. So he ends the speech, and he's sitting at obviously the front or, or, or not too far away from the stage, and uh, some people are like, okay, yeah, you can go up there and speak to him. So I was sitting in the back for him. I was actually standing up during like his entire speech. I was standing up uh, in the back. And... So lights come on, everything. I'm trying to walk to get to him down that aisle, right? Like, uh, and I'm being just interrupted by people like, oh, that's Eric July, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, I'm trying to take these. So I got to take these freaking pictures with people and stuff like that. <laughs> and I had to take probably like five pictures, man, on my way down from the back to the front. And it's kind of, it just goes to show from like definitely maybe, I don't know if it's generational or what it is. Like, what people thought I was the cool guy, I, I look at Walter like that. So while they're trying to get to me, I'm trying to get to Walter. You're probably keeping your eye on him the whole uh, time. Yes, and I'm like, <laughs> hey, I, I, hey, all right, here's a cool picture. And then I'm walking back. I'm like, I got to get to him. And I finally was able to get to him. And I used that time uh, when I shook his hand. I obviously took a picture. We took a picture, but I shook his hand, and I was like, you know, I, was, I wanted to tell him to his face what he meant to me. And the crazy thing was how he knew who I was. You know, which is like he didn't know that was me. But as I was talking to him, he's like, oh, you're so and so. You know, we've, oh, cool. we've seen your, your your videos. And I was like, yeah. Um, so that was cool. But that was certainly a thing that I had to get out of my course. He recently passed, unfortunately, which sucked. But for me to be able to tell someone if I, I would say blessed be those who have no idols. But if there were to be one, he'd be one of them. Okay. I'd probably have two, but he would be one of them. So I got to speak to him um, briefly and tell him what he meant to me. And I recently checked that, uh, you know, me speaking in that recent uh, Thomas Sowell documentary as well. I guess both of them have been checked off the list that I got to at least be in some part be cool. uh, involved with the guys that, that influenced me the most. That's really cool. Tell us about your earliest memory when you uh, ran, what, a 60-meter race or something? Yeah. How old were you? <laughs> I, would, I had to been like first grade. Okay. That was my first. That was my first memory. Uh, 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 first grade. Did it go well? Oh yeah, I smoked <laughs> everybody. And again, that was me first. The first time, because I think that had to have been the first time I actually competed, um, like, in a sport, like actually competed against other kids my age, and I blew the doors off of them, man. Like it was bad. Like I got and we have a pictures of me like being in front of my mother's house, of me being in front of everybody uh, <laughs> uh, racing. But no, it went to show like uh, certainly, I guess that was as a youngster, me realizing like I have a gift and not everybody is like this. Like I, I'm, I'm built differently than a lot of these other people. Um, yeah, so I, I for sure was going to be running. Uh, that was my gift and you know, I took it all the way to the collegiate level. So it's interesting that you have a talent for running. Yeah. And you're a fast individual. But yet, in your past, isn't so much running as it is stopping the fight. Yeah. 
So how did you get out of that throughout this email? Yeah. You know, you make references to this, and I'm just wondering, how do you, what do you attribute to Man, keeping you? I have an exact story um, to, to, to kind of pinpoint that. So like I said, I was banging, you know, and doing all the knucklehead stuff that you would typically see out of a lot of brothers coming out of single-parent homes. And I remember this was my senior, this had to be my senior year. And I realized again going into my senior year that, okay, I have a gift and I can take it to another level that will get me away from this. But I didn't like really go out of my way to be like anti what I was doing, the stuff that I was doing until, you know, I had a girlfriend at the time. Um, she was a basketball athlete at, at, at Summit. I was a track and field athlete, obviously. And we used to kind of hang out and talk in the like parking lot. Uh, like before my practice would start, so right after school. And I remember chatting with her, and these dudes rolled up in like a car, like just it was a full car. It had to be like six of them in that freaking packed up in that car. Now I knew what time it was. It wasn't nothing for me. When I tell you I was crazy as hell back then, it was nothing for me to fight groups of people, and I would not run away from it. So if I saw like a group of, and I was outnumbered. It wasn't nothing for me to be like just taking all my stuff off. Like I will fight everybody in this area. Y'all gonna jump me, but someone's gonna feel something. <laughs> uh, and but that was like my first time where it set, and th- nothing happened to her. But I was remember telling her like, okay, I'm about to run that way because I already know what they're here for. You get out of there because I'm me going that way is going to attract them to me. That was my first time where it really set in that the life that I was living was actually going to get someone else hurt. And it's one thing for me, someone to come hit me in the back of the head or something like that. That was nothing. Jump me. That was nothing. But for someone else to possibly or potentially get hurt just because they are a loved one or something, that was a different thing. And it felt different. But that was the first time with someone that had absolutely nothing, just a pure innocent being, had nothing to do with anything, where I actually felt that they were in danger. So it was a it was a it was a wake up call. Like, okay, what you're doing could get someone else. Now thankfully it didn't, but it yeah, could get someone else that's an innocent being hurt. I couldn't I wouldn't be able to sleep with a with that on my conscience, man. So it was it was certainly a life altering experience. And it sounds like your senior year in high school. That was, changed everything. That though. sounds like that's where the fork in the road. Absolutely, a hundred percent, hundred percent. It was obviously a slow crawl because mm-hmm. even going into college, I still started myself as a badass. But that was I, I started becoming anti former me. So if you could look at like myself by the end of my senior year versus me as a freshman, sophomore, junior, they would have been like I would have been the guy at that time, like after my senior year, certainly the guy that would be telling folks, don't do that. As in like, that is a terrible way to live. You shouldn't live that that way. Um, uh, and that's kind of the perspective that it was. I was just a different, different person as far as what I valued. So educate me as someone who isn't overly familiar with the gang lifestyle, yeah, yeah. okay? And this is gonna sound naive, but it's not meant to be anything other than trying to understand. Yeah. Once you're in a gang, mm-hmm. right? Do you do you just kind of ghost them until you're out of that lifestyle, or you know, is it like the mob where where you're never leaving? Yeah. What is how do you separate See, yourself? It's an interesting thing because I know it's different. It's going to be different every location, right? Uh, every like uh, banging out in Texas is different from like maybe West Coast stuff. You know what I mean? And and you know even in Texas, like what we did in Dallas versus Houston. Is, is different with me. Um, I think everybody saw the writing that was on the walls. It's like people, for example, like gangs in, in like uh, Chicago, for example, which is a big time basketball area for people that don't know. A lot of greats, Derrick Rose, and a lot of these guys that were great. And they had a sense of at some point that was like understood by everybody that was in the area, they were off limits. You know what I mean? Like you couldn't really mess with them huh. um, because they are doing something better with themselves. Definitely if they were very young. Wow. Whereas to me, uh, it wasn't necessarily that. But because I was one heck of an athlete, I think everybody around here knew that I would at some point be something else. 
Now, did they think that I would be what I am now? Probably not. <laughs> but they knew that I was going to be someone's. I always had a, a head on my shoulders being smart, but more so in that case, definitely with the athleticism. So are there people that that I knew that I used to bang with that are still doing that nonsense? Absolutely. But there's also people that I grew up with, definitely the close ones, like my closest partner, who also got out of that lifestyle. You know what I mean? And it's nothing. I only see guys probably now a, a lot of often. You know, I'll talk to them. They'll send me on Facebook or something like that. And when I go get my haircut, you know, I go and get my haircut <laughs> where, I, where I was born and oh, raised. Cool. So every time I go out there, it's always like a cool conversation. Like, oh, Rip, what's up, dog? Where you been? Like, And it's funny because a lot of folks think that that was only who they knew me as, right? Banging, like Ripper. That's where the name came from. Like, they knew me from that. And it's funny to see people see me differently. They know it's me. They recognize the face. But you can say, like, just, just how well off I am right now. They don't even understand that because you'll get folks that I run into. They're like, dude, I have not seen you in, like, years. Was I locked up? And I was like, nah, like that, that wasn't, I didn't do anything to get me locked up. I just got off of doing <laughs> what I was doing to be around, around. There's another way out. Yeah, there's yeah. another way out. But no, it just goes to show how completely, how deep I was, but more unfamiliar. But now with my personal experience, like walking away from that life, it was always understood from the people that were around me. Definitely back when I was coming up because I was an athlete, they knew this wasn't going to last uh, or assume that it wasn't going to last forever. And I was, look, I was in the trenches. So it ain't like anybody could say anything to me anyway. Like, yeah, I walked away and did that. Like, what of it? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, there ain't nothing you did that I didn't do. You know, so you can't, like, disrespect me or or something of, of, of that nature. And there may be people that are still like, man, that guy went and turned coat and sold out or something mm -hmm. like that. I'm sure there's maybe one or two. But for the most part, so, the people know. So, so when you do go back to the old neighborhood and get yeah. your hair cut or just anywhere, is there any part of you that like in other words is there any kind of old grudge or See, anything that you might be on high alert for that someone is always behind you looking uh i would say i have to be cognizant of it but it's not anything that i ever worried about okay like that i know i can't say that for a lot of other people uh but I, it wasn't like I was wronging people that didn't, do, uh, you know, didn't deserve it. You <laughs> sure, know what I mean? Sure. Like I wasn't, wasn't that guy. You know what I mean? My be it was beef and stuff like that. But I never wronged anybody to that, um, that degree. Okay. But you know, this is um, it's funny. You know, this is why I value firearm ownership as much as I do uh, now. So I'm never caught without it without it on me. Any event, I'm I'm, I'm a uh, you know lady can speak to this as well. I, I'm always aware of my surroundings and what's happening but I've never like definitely back back there because I remember when I was getting off of like as I was going into my senior year for example a lot of the people that we banged on were not even from our area now Fort Worth is a different story no. you know what I'm saying so if I'm there maybe there'll be someone over over there from long ago that may be stupid enough to be but even back then like you know because of the rap stuff I would inevitably have to like be friends with people like that were from the other side of town but i'm just using that as an example yeah. like we used to beef more so it, yeah when i was first coming up it was like people that were around you at your school on the other side of the neighborhood something like that and then as i got older it was more we would go you have dallas folk come over even that didn't like each other right that would claim different colors too you have people that would be dogs crips whatever that would that it that would then team up just to fight other neighborhoods <laughs> and, uh, and other cities. So yeah. you'd have Arlington people beefing with Dallas folk, oh, Fort Worth people Can't beefing with Dallas with folk. This. Yeah, uh, uh, Arlington folks beefing with with, with with Fort Worth folks. So it was like let's say there was a point in time where that was the thing. But because I was a rapper, I knew a oh. lot of people from from uh, Fort Worth that I was cool with and stuff like that. So even then. I, I wouldn't feel like if I go there now, I can't okay. really honestly say that somebody gang... off me or something like that. Right. Did the gang you were a part of, did you guys have a color? Oh, most for the most part, yeah. We were all like B-dogs, you know what I mean? We were all claiming bloods, you know what I'm saying? So okay, we were all, so red. But that was like a thing. See, that's the thing. But that's what if you woke up one day and you wanted to wear green? Or, you or, just wore green. Like, we okay. weren't like, like, it wasn't, like at, at, in Texas, like it wasn't, like or rather in Dallas, it wasn't. There was a time where people okay. called themselves beefing on colors. But more so, it was like um, 
it, it was more people beefing like on people that were on the other side of the okay. neighborhood. It wasn't as colors as much. So you'd have people that were whatever they call themselves, uh, you know, Crips, Bloods, whatever, that were cool with each other, okay. obviously. that were In the same clique, because that was another thing. Like, you had cliques where it was like basically little little groups of people that had formed that claimed dis- different colors. You know oh, what I mean? So oh. it, it was an odd time, but nah, colors like that weren't. Uh, and uh, there was a time when it was, but for the most part when I was coming up, you know, people claimed colors, but that wasn't what like would, okay. would get someone beat up. Okay. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Toria. Where did you and Toria meet? Your fiance. Ah, that's funny. I met her, and oh man, it's gonna sound so cliche. I Uh-oh. met her literally in a mosh pit. <laughs> and I tell people this story, and they're like, "You're making it up." I'm <laughs> like, "I am not joking." Wait, were you the artist, or were you an? I, I was. I was a fan. It was okay. in a band who you know I'm cool with some of the members uh, called Memphis Mayfire. Okay. Um, they're out of Dallas. They're based out of Dallas too, and they were. It was a Warp tour. That was back when Warp tour was still a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they come to Dallas and. I saw her, and it was funny because she was what we call like slam dancer or hardcore dancer. So she'd be in there going crazy. Oh. So I'm sitting here like, who is this black chick that is in this pit going crazy right now? And one thing led to another. We talked after 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 that, uh, and yeah, I was like, yeah, I first met Toria in the pit. I, I'm like not even joking. Okay, uh, and I totally believe the story, but I want to know. Did she end up slamming into you multiple times? <laughs> and is that almost like uh, flirting in, in the mosh nah, pit? <laughs> nah, like, because uh, uh, I wasn't much of a slam dancer. I okay. was more of a traditional mosher. So uh-huh. I get in there, but I'm pushing people around. Whereas she would be like oh, like yeah. going off and like uh, with everybody else. This is the area else. of the concert hall that yours truly avoids like the plague. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I was more so, when I saw people that would slam dance, I would be more so on the outskirt. Okay. Now, if it's a traditional mosh, I get in there. And sometimes, yeah, even when people slam there. But she was in there going ape, man. Like So it was it was awesome <laughs> for me to see. But I was like, who is this black chick? Because obviously it's metal, so it's not that many <laughs> black folk that are there anyway. And I'm like, who is this black chick that is... That is going off, and I, I, I uh-huh. man, uh, yeah. One thing led led to another, and then That's you know, cool. a couple of years after that, we dated. That's awesome, uh, and again, congratulations mm-hmm. on your upcoming nuptials. Okay, one of your dream ideas, which I have the same one, is to live on property. Oh yeah, somewhere that is self sufficient, right? Your own energy. And, I mean, and what we experienced in Texas. Oh back man, in February. I think I think everybody's on that train right. now. I think seriously, I've started talking. Everybody's talking about like living right. uh, living uh, like that now. Uh-huh. So, um, yeah, I mean, do you do you have it all planned out, or is it just something that one day you hope to? Nah, to get that's to- my next project. That's my next big yeah. project. Money money wise, that is my next big project. Right. And do you want to be completely off the grid or just self sufficient? In other words, yeah. If I'm living on my self-sufficient property and you're living on yours, do you still want to be able to pick up the phone and call me, or do you want to be completely invisible? I, I want that. I want some. This is why I'm trying to find a sweet spot in in between living in a semi-rural area mm-hmm. while also getting like that. And 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 it, I think it's a realistic thing I mean, when you consider the amounts of land and the more how more expansive things are. You can get stuff on the outskirts. Of a, of, of a big city yeah. uh, that is rural um, and that you can put your own stuff on, but it's close enough to even maybe get, you know, a decent internet connection and stuff like wow. that's my dream uh, uh, right there to, to get something like that. Uh, so I want to be, have some sort of connectivity because like you said, I want to have space certainly between myself and my neighbors because I'm thinking multiple acreage of, of land to do whatever it is that I want. Maybe when I get it, it I don't have it, but maybe I'm 35 and I'm like, Maybe I want a gar- big garden now, <laughs> and then I just say, "All right, that part yeah. of the uh, you know uh, of the of the property, we're gonna turn that into like places where we're growing our own food." Right. I, I want a freaking wind turbine there on property. That we have enough enough to do it. Um, it's more so, but I, I would love the idea of having semi connectivity to where. But, and here's you know. the issue for people like me, and definitely for people like you who are so active online in so many respects and i want to go over all the places people can find you 
But once you get out to this acreage, this self-sufficient area, you do need... That's what's so insidious. We love our internet. Yeah. We love our connectivity. But yet at the same time, we hate it. Yeah. So... I hope you do find that sweet spot. Yeah, uh. it's hard. It's hard to find that. Like my dream, dream. Like I said, it's something like that. While I can also get fiber in it, that would be like God sent. And technology is advancing. You know, we got the Starlink stuff. That, I was about to tell uh, you that uh, 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 that which they recently announced that they were they think that they were going to be able to get it up to three hundred megabits per second, uh-huh. uh, which as before I think it was like a hundred. Right. So maybe that does expand to something crazy. Yep. Um, as well. So we'll and, see. Yeah, Starlink. That is a Tesla. Pro- yeah. As a Elon Musk project, and uh, I was just about to mention that to you as the way to get your internet yeah. as far as affordable land. Uh, you're on your own. Good, good luck. Okay, so people can find you, social media, all over. Instead of me trying to run through the list here, why don't you yeah. just tell everybody where they can find you and your name and everything? Of course, ericdjuly.com is my website, which will give you the links and every um, like every, to every page that I have. So that'll make it easier for you, ericdjuly.com. Uh, but of course, I'm on YouTube. Uh, that's where a lot of people get their, get their information. From um, so I'm on YouTube, youtube.com slash uh, young ripper. I've had this <laughs> this for a long time. Young ripper five nine, the number five and the number nine, and at that's R I P P A. Yes, yes, R I P P A. You can find me there. That's my Twitch handle as well. So if you're in there watching streaming, we stream from time to time. We stream the show every day for Cannon's sake on the YouTube, but we do stream gaming over at Twitch. Same thing. You How young do you have five, all the it's time. time? Had to recently bring up a, a full time, uh, like I made that decision. Literally, I, this person started Monday, yesterday. Like that was Somebody's the first helping day. you. Yes, but you know it gets to a point to where okay, you don't have enough time to edit because up until then, I literally did everything. No myself. wonder you finally had time to join me here today. You got somebody else <laughs> exactly. taking care. Oh, I forgot. And this is a new question. Yeah. That 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 I've started asking. You have your phone on you? Of course. Okay, this is gonna be it's gonna be fun. Yeah. Get Amazon. I do. What's currently in your cart, Eric D. July? Why don't you share with the class? Ooh, let's see. Let's if see. you want to. Let's see. If it's uh, what's in the cart? <laughs> um, well, not, what was the last thing? I, I'll tell you this. Uh, <laughs> what's the last thing you the purchased? Last thing I purchased. There's nothing there now. Uh, last thing I purchased was a. a you, you'll relate to this because you're in the same deal. Uh-oh. And this is a. Uh, <laughs> it was a 3.5 uh, millimeter. Uh, there's a TRS cable uh, that I needed, so I'm, you know, I'm always uh-huh. trying to convert something to something else to make it work. Headphones, but, yeah. but even like with audio with my like uh-huh. stream, like I like to have it all run to a mixer. Oh, that's so cool. I want the monitor audio to come. I think that was what I was getting. I want the monitor audio I mean, to go straight to my board, so I can mess yeah. around with it instead of me having to use it on like OBS or something with its own audio channel. I mean, that's cool, Eric, but I was hoping it would be something like an ice cream maker. Oh, uh, no, nah, nothing, nothing, nothing like, oh, that. well, the lady did recently <laughs> oh. get uh, uh, a, a, a label printer. Oh, that's fun. Commercial grade la- label printer. What is she uh, printing? She has a craft shop. Oh, can people that, find her online? Absolutely. Uh, daydreamerscustoms.com. Daydreamer Customs. Daydreamer Customs. Yes. Com. yes so, can, what are some of the stuff you find? Uh, she does jewelry, uh, huh. all kinds of like, I mean, when I say everything, like she has like little plant holder deals that she's been, um, like macrame stuff that she makes. Uh, she has a whole entire line oh, cool. um, on that. So, she's on uh, she's on that Instagram. She's always posting like uh, how she's making this stuff. So, if you oh, want to nice. see, see the process as well, you'll be able to follow her. Any mosh videos of the. <laughs> Uh, I'm pretty sure you'll find me me in in a pit multiple times because definitely when I perform, like uh, people don't understand. Yeah, backwards has like uh, that. It, it's a metal corey kind of hardcore sound. Okay, so it's he- heavy in, and it's in called metalcore. Yeah, metalcore is more so the genre than anything. So you don't <laughs> see as much of the hardcore dancing and stuff with what it is that we do, but. <laughs> If you've seen us live, you know we're pretty rowdy. I love it. And I have no problem jumping off the stage uh, and, and being involved in a, in a pit, which I probably shouldn't be doing. Hold on a second. You, yeah. you, you're you hoping that people catch you. I, usually I don't even stay. Well, I, I don't. 
My bandmates do. Okay. My band bandmate stage dive like it's nobody's yeah, business. Yeah, and be careful. Yeah, and they have guitars and basses you know, in, their, in their hands too, so that's not. That's I'm talking dangerous. thirty years ago, early on in, <laughs> in U2's uh, existence, bon okay. Bono jumped off the stage and they didn't catch him. Yeah, yeah. that's why he has a scar yeah, on his it, chin it, it, today. It can be dangerous. It can be dangerous. Be but usually, I, I haven't. I mean, I don't usually jump in there like that. I usually just literally get down and run in there. Okay. Well, but my bandmates aren't the same. <laughs> like, Alex has this thing. Art Basis has this thing. Like, before, like, usually the first song to play, he's already out of his mind. <laughs> and he's like, oh, hey, I'm going in. I'm and going next in. day, you know, we don't have, I'm, I, I'm singing a song, and I look to the right. He's not there. And then I look in the crowd, and he's like this, right there, and I'm like, "Oh my god!" Does somebody grab the uh, bass guitar and and start? Uh... Usually he's in there with it. <laughs> like you, he's like no lie. Usually he's in there with it. He'll be in there still playing because it's wireless. So he's, been, <laughs> he's in there usually still still playing. Sometimes he won't. Sometimes though he'll put it up and and, okay. and, and, and jump in there. So we just we'll go to a period of time where we don't have any bass. Right, and I know I'm analyzing this way too much, but it just occurred to me. It's been a long time since yeah. I've been to a concert. But is the bass guitar, is it still cabled or is it Bluetooth? No, he, he's wireless. Now every, oh, now that's the thing oh, that we oh, all do oh, for a moment. Oh, so he has absolute freedom. Wow. So we don't have, we used to do that whole deal where we had it wired. But now, you know, once we stopped being a baby band, we had to upgrade. <laughs> and uh, yeah, for, for as wild as we are, if we had cables, which we when we did, we'd be tripping over each other <laughs> yeah. and all kinds of stuff. So. <laughs> So now we kind of we go with That's the wireless really cool. setup, so we don't have to worry about that. All right, uh, Eric July, thank you so much for <laughs> being a, a part of At the Mic. I really appreciate your time. Good thank to know you. you, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. It was a lot of fun getting to know Eric. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Uh, be sure to check out his stuff at ericdjuly.com when you can. Ericdjuly.com. And also, be sure to head over to atthemikeshow.com. Leave a message for me. Check out the archive. If you have any friends who enjoy fun conversations with good people, I hope you'll spread the word. And next week, we catch up with a former Blaze producer, Natasha Pacetta. We can see what she's been up to, which is a lot. I hope you're going to join us for that conversation next week. Until then, go be free. And thank you for listening to At The Mike. This has been At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. Head to atthemikeshow.com for archived episodes, sponsor information, and ways to connect.